Hi, everybody. Welcome to Brokerage Insider, the podcast for all things brokerage and tech related. Today, we're joined by Nathan Brannon, the VP of Product and Sales at a company called Respi, uh, Respi.ai. And uh, Nathan is coming to us from Barcelona, Spain, uh, where Respi is based, but they work with clients all around the world. So Nathan, thanks for joining us here. Thanks, Eric. Good to be here. Uh, so tell me a little bit about Respi and, and what you guys do. Okay. So Respi.ai is a company that was launched about five years ago in Spain as a computer vision company. So what does computer vision mean? That means uh, uh, image recognition, looking at, at photos and extracting information out of them using a lot of the latest advances in AI. And we started pretty early on solely focused on the real estate industry because from personal experience working with different sites, uh, the founders understood that there was a lot of opportunity to improve and use this information in photos. Um, so really at this point, we've, we've taken that working with clients in Spain and, and realized that these problems don't just exist there, they exist across Europe, they exist across the world. And uh, particularly for the people listening to this podcast, they exist a lot in the US as well. And so the things we do with these photos is, is try to add whatever intelligence or information we can so that they can be used better by the consumers. And the consumers can be portals, they can be MLSs, they can be brokerages, they can be really anyone across the entire real estate spectrum that deals with uh, any digital asset. And, um, you know, I think we'll, we'll probably get into a little bit about what those different things are, but um, a lot of really cool things are happening uh, in both the extracting information space and the enhancing space and editing space and you know just creation space of, of listings and uh, descriptions and captions and things like that. Yeah so Respi is a company that uh, we at Tribus have been tracking for quite a while and uh, it's it's been really interesting to watch their expansion uh, and the things that they've been doing. So Nathan can you tell me a little bit give me an idea of how many images do you guys tag or, or look at using computer vision? How, how many do you look at per day or per month? Great question. And this has been quite interesting to track in relation to the, the coronavirus outbreak um, and seeing how it differs in different areas. Uh, but, you know, on an average month, we're processing, you know, upwards of 100 million photos a day, or not a day, I'm sorry, a month. And, um, you know, doing that in, in areas all across the world. And we've seen with the, the coronavirus, the, the kind of shift as it's moved across different parts of the world, a corresponding drop in those image volumes, uh, quite similar to what people have seen with drops in listings and things like that. So, um, you know, 100 million, that, that's obviously lots of images, even if there's some drop because of listing volume going down. That's a lot of images. And so for those that don't uh, have any background in this, which is probably most of our listeners, because they're busy running their brokerages and selling real estate and recruiting agents, not worrying about tech uh, per se. Talk to me a little bit about how the process works. Like how, when you get an image, what happens to it uh, from the minute it hits your system? Okay. So there's two kind of processes that happen when we receive images. Uh, the images are coming from our clients and they're passing us basically either an image URL or an image file via API. So we work with the RESTful API interface, which is an industry standard API. And when that image comes over to us, we are then processing through uh, the relevant a, um, AI model that we have 
and returning information back to the user in a consumable format for them to you know, apply that information in different ways. Um, so that's one of the ways where we're just tagging information saying, okay, what room type is this? What features are within this photo? What condition is this room? Um, but we also do other things where we're actually editing the photos. And in this case, we will provide a link to a new photo once they pass us a photo so that that new photo can be used uh, in however the user may, may want to use it. So, you know, obviously AI is part of this. It's part of your company name. It's part of your URL. Um, so for those that aren't familiar with kind of the concept of AI, can you, from a very high level standpoint, talk about uh, what goes into that, what goes into maybe a model of AI and then how that yields results down the road? Yes. So at a high level, a 10,000 foot view, what our AI does or tries to do is act really similarly to how a human would work and look at uh, photos that they receive. But doing this at a scale that, uh, you know, is much more possible when you're dealing with uh, 100 plus million images a month. And so what this means is basically we'll train models that look over a bunch of different photos that have been pre-tagged or um, identified as far as here are the things within these photos. And then we feed all that information to our AI and train over it and iterate over it until it basically is able to identify those photos to um, the level that we're looking for. And so that's in the upper 97%. And once that model is trained, any new photo that is passed to us can then be analyzed and the result immediately returned to the user based on all of this uh, data that we've trained it with in the past. Yep. Okay. So uh, the model, I, I think that's the part that I, I, I've been always very interested in is the model. So it, as I understand it, and feel free to correct me if I'm not, I'm not right here, but as I understand it, the model, it, it's the idea is it's almost like a human in that it learns and gets better over time. Is that correct? Correct. So, you know, it, it seems like when you have these many images that you're getting per day, it just gets better and better and better over time, right? Correct. So, so the way I, I guess I've seen it is it's kind of like Tesla and their lead in self-driving, um, where they have an AI model too, is that they're far ahead because they have so much data that they're looking at. And from what we've seen at Tribus with Recipe, is it's the same thing. They have so many images that they look at and train their model and get it better and better and better over time that uh, they have such a lead in terms of anybody else that's trying to do this, particularly when it comes to real estate. Um, so in training that model, Nathan, is there anything that is particularly interesting that, that uh, maybe it's seen that's new, that wasn't expected, or that you guys found by training that model? So I'm going to rewind a little bit, Eric, and just make sure that I'm not misleading you at all when uh, we talk about the model getting better over time. So with any model that you have, there's going to be a certain amount of detections that are correct and perhaps detections that are missed. And a detection would be something that was within the photo, say hardwood floors that we wanted to be there and it wasn't detected or vice versa. Uh, it wasn't there, but we said it was there. And we only know that these are you know, incorrect by looking at them or by getting feedback from, from users or by doing our own analysis. So there's no automatic updating of the model simply based on getting more photos. But what we do get is one, we have some feedback loops set up with customers where when they identify that photos are incorrect, they get sent to our data team uh, for analysis. But two, we have just the feedback from all these clients that we're speaking to that have unique issues that focus on specific areas uh, of the, the country. So even 
you know, photos differ quite a lot from the US and Europe, but even in the Northeast and in California, there's differences. And getting those feedback from users that are in both parts of those countries help us be aware of where we need to, um, you know, clean up certain areas of the model. And because we have all of these customers and all this experience and all this data that we look through, it's very easy for us to then um, find the right types of things to improve the models in the ways that our users are seeing. Yeah, makes uh, makes sense. So, um, you know, anything that comes out of it that's really, you know, unique or different that you guys maybe hadn't been expecting with it? Yes. So, uh, for example, um, you know, there's certain things that we just don't detect that are quite interesting to detect. And so this would be, uh, say, a kitchen backsplash. Uh, a really interesting thing that's great to be able to look at in a photo, but not something that made our original list of items that we, we decided to tag. So we get requests like that quite a bit when people want to say, oh, hey, can I look for this or can I look for that? And those are great to kind of roll in. Yeah. But Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, but beyond that, we also end up with a lot of things that are a little bit more peculiar. Um, so I think we had an issue where there's a certain um, MLS and they had a lot of uh, pencil drawings um, or sketches that would be of, say, the front of a house, but it would be drawn in a pencil as a, a kind of rendering. And for us, this would be returned as, you know, a plan at first and uh, a plan would be like a floor plan, but it's not a plan. And you can kind of see what the AI was thinking based on the data it had. Um, but it also, you know, shows the, the need to keep iterating over these models and proving for these cases that they may not have run into before. That's super interesting. Uh, what can I ask what MLS that was? So I cannot say what MLS that was. <laughs> okay. Um, can you, ex can you explain why they have these pencil drawings? Cause it seems really interesting slash odd that they have so many pencil drawings of fronts of houses. So what they told us when we reached out to them about this was that they are, they actually have the text rendering on a lot of these photos that show these, these front of houses. And, um, it's basically a, a new construction, but rather than using a, an actual rendering, which we also see quite commonly, it is a, a pencil sketch. And for us, it was as surprising as it was to you in that um, this just wasn't something that seemed to happen often, but I'm guessing this is a certain, you know, perhaps construction company that provides these uh, at, I mean, they're quite nice pencil drawings, so I'm not talking about stick figures, but um, <laughs> they are very different than anything else that our AI had seen. Interesting, very interesting. I see that's the kind of stuff that, I figure when you see a hundred plus million images uh, on a regular basis, you're going to get some oddball items uh, like that where you're saying, Hey, this is not something we ever expected. I'm sure you probably have a number of other, other things like that too, but that's a good one. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously with it getting better and with it, with you changing the model over time uh, and adding things like this with these pencil sketches to, to plan in for that. Um, how good do you think the model is going to be in say three years from now? And what do you think you'll be able to tell about a photo and give back information to a brokerage or to an MLS? Uh, what are some things you aren't doing right now that you think, yeah, in three years we'll have the model that it can, it can definitely do that. Three years is a, a long time when it comes <laughs> to these types of uh, things. So I'm, I'm quite excited thinking about where we'll be in three years. I think from a, tagging perspective and extracting just the features that are within photos, the, the accuracy you can get to is quite high. 
as you get more data and as you understand how to divide things. What I think is interesting for us is that as we get all this information about what we've tagged before, you can then go into greater detail and understand, okay, you know, not only is this a kitchen island, but this is a kitchen island with granite countertops. And not only is it a kitchen island with granite countertops, but they are a darker hue. So these are the kind of second, third order things that you can do once you, you know, are getting this data and understanding uh, what to look for and what to build off of, um, because we can so much easier query our database of images to, you know, find these new things that we want to identify and build. So that's the, the basic stuff that I think we're getting better and better at right now. Yeah. But, and, and, oh, something that I had mentioned to your uh, team in the past that I thought would be really cool. Uh, and, and, you know, it certainly is not a today or tomorrow type of a thing, but a three plus year maybe type of a goal was I thought it would be great to have your model be able to even tell what the, what the model of uh, appliances are and things like that that are inside the house. Because now you know, if, if you know, uh, generally, you can say, okay, well, it's probably X years old, um, which tells me if I'm looking at the house, that if the appliances are, you know, 15 years old, I know there's a good chance that the, the fridge might go out uh, in the next few years or the, uh, the washer and dryer or something like that. Um, it also helps me tell if the, um, uh, if, you know, those are, those are the types of appliances that I would be looking for, right? Do I want stainless appliances, which I think you guys might be able to already do, or you were getting close to be able to say that it's all stainless appliances, right? Correct. We can identify which appliances are stainless steel. Yeah. See, that's, that's phenomenal. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, as far as search goes, and this is something that we've been working on with you guys, and we're excited to, to get implemented, hopefully in the very near future, is to make a more visual search process. So where somebody could go in and say, I want, um, you know, uh, good landscaping, and I want uh, uh, open and airy as far as uh, what the house looks like. Um, and I want updated kitchen, et cetera. Um, all things I think you guys have currently, but we haven't seen uh, many sites adopt a more visual approach to search. Uh, most sites, in fact, the vast, vast majority of sites today still are enter your city, state, zip, uh, et cetera, your price, maybe your beds and baths, and that's the search process. But the thing is, most consumers think of things and start narrowing it down once they get to city to say, okay, well, these are the ones that have the kitchens that I like. Why do you think more sites haven't implemented uh, a search process that, that takes into account vi visual and uh, uh, you know, updates and things like that that the people are looking for inside of the house? Why do you think they haven't implemented that yet? It's a great question. I think we, we thought, you know, say two years ago that we would see a big shift in these. And we have seen a greater amount of people start to adopt uh, some of the things you mentioned um, over the past, you know, 18 months. But I think one of the big challenges here is that you have, and this is in any country, not just the US, but you have the large portals that get the lion's share of traffic, at least at the beginning stages. And these are the people that have the least incentive to really innovate in the space. As long as everybody has basically the same type of search where you have you know, a map on one side, a bunch of filters, and then the results on the other side, because of their position and kind of dominance in the market, they're always gonna get all of that traffic. So they don't need to be risky. 
And the flip side is the, the smaller players know that they're not going to be getting as much traffic. So is that where they really want to be trying to stand out uh, in you know, an area where the amount of users or visitors they're getting is you know, not near as high? Yeah, and I and I see that, but is I mean, do you guys have data behind it to say, hey, look, when you implement a visual search in unison with a location and and what I call the metadata of the listing search, meaning the 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 basic fields like price and beds and baths, do you have any data that shows uh, maybe perhaps that people that implement that are more likely to use the broker or at least more likely to be down the funnel further? Uh, when they use a visual based search like recipe could power? So what we've seen here, and I think this is important to keep in mind, and you mentioned it a little bit is what's going to make people more likely to come back to my site. And I think that's a very big key of this in, you know, if you have something unique as a, say a brokerage, it's not just a matter of how many people are going to use it. It's how many people are going to be, wow, this is cool. I want to share this with someone else because I don't think they've seen something like this. And you can tell that these things are working based on the metrics of, you know, what percentage of users are using these different features. So as a, an example, something that we're probably seeing the most commonly is uh, allowing users to select the default photo that appears in the search results. So whereas now that's typically the front of a house um, because it's the default photo selected by an agent, we have clients that uh, allow you to select, okay, I, I've been stuck in my house due to COVID for the past four months and I've been cooking a lot more. I know in my next house, I really want a nice kitchen. Um, so I want to see the kitchens first rather than the front of the house. And beyond that, I also want to make sure that I can see a kitchen island uh, because I have one now and I can't imagine living without one. So with these users, we can now filter and it will only show the results uh, that have these kitchens with kitchen islands. And I can now search these um, you know, in a matter of seconds rather than having to click into each listing and, and swipe through all the photos. So you have this, this logical kind of reason of why I'd want to do it, but you also have this data on this particular user that says, all right, they've been to our site three times and every time they've filtered by the kitchen and by the kitchen island. Uh, I know that this person is interested in this feature that um, I would have no other way of really understanding otherwise. Now, when I shoot emails, to them saying, hey, there's a new property, I can alter that email to show that uh, the first photo in this email is gonna be the photo of a kitchen with the kitchen island. And for these users, we're seeing increases from anywhere of 30% to over 100% engagement with these emails because they have this personalized touch because the, the, uh, the site knows what they're interested in, what they're looking for. And that there's always this idea that I had that um, you could the, the best search that would be out there is the most curated search for the individual, right? And the problem is most agents don't bother to spend the time to really nail the search down unless they know the client is is going to be using them as the agent. But I think what we found is the data shows the more curated the search is, the more likely they are to use the use that agent. So it's a chicken and the egg situation. But if you can have a search that implements that, that option that's there and show the agent, hey, they really care about kitchen islands, um, then they can do a better job of curating that search and, and getting them to the right property, right? So um, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I, I think it's vital uh, to have things that 
help the consumer narrow thing narrow down to the right properties going forward. I know when I searched for a home recently, uh, that is the that is the idea of what we were looking for. We knew the area we wanted to be in, but the inside of the house certainly mattered. And and it's hard to do that without getting to the fifth photo um, that's in there. Uh, so you have to click through everything. So. Um, you know, I, uh, let's talk about international real estate for just a second. Uh, you, you earlier, you kind of mentioned some particularly of the international portals. And I know that in many other countries, the portals that are in those countries, like for example, realestate.com.au for down in Australia, um, they are by far the dominant player uh, in this space. So talk to me a little bit about how search maybe works in other countries other than the United States. So I think if you're looking at, at search in general outside the US, you have to even rewind a little further and think, all right, how are these listings even getting to the portals? Uh, and in the US, you have the whole MLS system and you have all this data that's you know, syndicated out and you know, players like yourself who are you know, helping combine this data to make it easy to use. And in other countries, this doesn't exist. And so you end up with one, uh, the portal is acting as the, the content moderation piece and as the, the portal piece, which uh, you know, is trying to show as many properties to users as possible. And because they want to make sure they have as many listings as possible, you end up with these interesting limitations uh, from, I guess, the ideal user experience. So what do I mean by that? It means that if I'm a portal and I want to have a, a portal with no my listings to not have you know obnoxious watermarks on them. I don't necessarily want to prevent other sites from not having watermarks because then that you know person who's trying to upload my listing may decide I'm just going to go to your competitor who isn't giving me any issues. Um, and as the user, this means that you end up with a lot of weird things when you're searching. Uh, it also means that um, I guess a lot of people don't know in, in other countries there's no exclusive listing. So. Uh, you can go to a portal and you may see the same listing over 10 times and it's you know not necessarily an agent representing that but they want to you know have someone reach out to them and then they want to redirect them to the person who actually owns that listing for a different fee um, and you have these things that are quite painful and frustrating as a user but the portal because it wants to keep traffic and it doesn't want to push people elsewhere is incentivized to let it happen uh, because that's you know just kind of the status quo so you have issues like that that don't really exist in the US thanks to the, the MLSs. Um, from a, another point of view, I think it's, uh, you know, you have a lot more monopolies or duopolies as far as who controls most of the traffic. And because it's very difficult to get that traffic from uh, the different you know, people who are creating listings, because you don't have these MLSs that you can easily go get a feed from, you end up with of the incumbents not really needing to innovate that much and for the competitors having a lot harder time innovating because it's a lot more difficult for them to get access to the listings. And so the, the interfaces are a bit more uh, basic in a lot of these places. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so do you, I mean, do you think that the reason why there's been rise uh, of that in other countries um, with the way the portals are a monopoly or duopoly in, in the country as far as real estate search goes, do you think that's because of the model and how they don't have MLSs and, and really for the most part, most other countries don't use buyer, buyer's agents at all? I think it's a, it's a very big factor. And I think that 
you know, you have the, these incumbents are typically quite safe and there are, you know, there is innovation in, in other countries and uh, particularly in a country like India, there's a massive amount of VC funding going into these companies to try to disrupt and innovate in this industry. But, but for a lot of these countries, there may not be that type of VC money that can allow uh, some of these, these companies to scale and to innovate and the incumbents, you know, don't have really an incentive to, to make it easy for these people to work in their area either because they're comfortable with their, you know, majority in their, their market. And um, I think that, you know, if you had MLS, it would make things easier just because you'd have a greater access to the data. And so more people could get the data and do things uh, with that data. And even if it's copied by these larger portals, that's ultimately good for all of the end users. But right now there just isn't a lot of incentive or pressure uh, or even ability for a lot of these people to, to do that. And I think, you know, there's some countries, particularly up in, in Northern Europe, where most of the listings that are actually available aren't even publicly accessible. So you're working with an agent and they'll basically be sending you listings that exist, but they aren't on any public place for you to see them. And they basically understand what you want and serve you listings, but it's not something that anyone can search unless you're an agent. And those listings are available to your particular brokerage, not even all brokerages. Yeah, and I, I've heard this and in, in, in previous podcasts, you know, we, we've had a, a number of people on so far uh, that have experience in other countries with real estate, uh, including a great interview that we had with the Ad Phoenix team um, on, on a previous episode where we talk about that inventory. And it seems like it's always held so tightly where, you know, it's, it, it is... Uh, hey, I've got listings and I control the listing inventory that I have and, and I wield it like a weapon of my inventory around uh, because I'm the only one that knows that it's there. But also it seems like, and, and please feel free to tell me if you see something different in Spain or in, in other countries that you guys uh, have experience in, it seems like there's also a lot of listings that aren't exclusive in other countries where you have to keep it private because if another broker finds out about it, then they'll try to find buyers for the properties. Is that what you see too in, in Spain or in other countries? Yes. Uh, so both of the, the things that you just mentioned are quite common uh, in varying levels between different countries. But there's a lot of people who don't want, you know, they want to have, I guess, the equivalent of almost a pocket listing in the U.S. They, they see the risk of putting a listing out there as greater than them, you know, holding on to it and using their network to basically find a buyer without it being available for everyone to look at. Or if it is out there, then yes, it will be duplicated by other people. And, uh, you know, we've seen markets where upwards of 20% of all the listings are duplicated, uh, which, you know, causes a lot of problems and it's just the, the nature of the beast and um, a problem that you have to deal with. Interesting. Interesting. Um, okay. So one last topic coming back here to uh, the U S uh, and something I know that you and your team uh, are passionate about helping um, solve and, and certainly something that's been top of mind here uh, at Tribus as well as something we've cared about for quite a long time is accessibility when it comes to real estate search. And I had a, a great, a conversation with Jessica Edgerton of uh, Leading RE uh, a few weeks back where we discussed the importance of ADA compliance and the fact that it's not only 
just you know to protect you from getting a lawsuit or a demand letter on your hands, but it's actually just good business since um, nearly 10% of all visitors to websites need some sort of accessibility uh, tool turned on on their computer or in their browser. So talk to me about how Respy is helping to solve the ADA concerns uh, with making sure that websites are ADA compliant and accessible to the most number of people. So this is an issue that we've been working with for the past couple of years, and it's been interesting to see how it's evolved, not only in the, the demand from the market, but also in our understanding of the challenge and uh, I think the opportunity to really improve in this area. And so, as you mentioned, you know, there's a large amount of people or a large percentage of people who, you know, have some disability or have some need for the, for a website that is ADA compliant. And where we really see a big opportunity with the things we do, uh, being involved with photos and, and digital assets is in the, the image space. And for the images, uh, there's a component of ADA that says that every image needs to have descriptive alt text. And the descriptive alt text is meant to help people who use screen readers to be able to understand the images on sites. And so when I originally started, I was thinking, all right, uh, you know, I don't personally know anyone who uses a screen reader, um, but this seems like a good thing to do. But after reaching out to a bunch of different people in the space, I found out that there are a lot of people that we reached out to that said, okay, I personally have a relative who has this issue and it is a very big important issue to me. And uh, when you look at the numbers, there's actually 4.4 million adults that use screen readers. And you know, of these people, you might say, well, how many of these people are actually potential home buyers? And you know, three quarters of those people are between 20 and 60. Uh, over three quarters of them say that they are very expert users at the internet. These are people that you know, really are potential buyers and uh, potential people that you would wanna make your site accessible to. So it's, you know, it's great to be able to serve these people, but these are also a very large amount of people that can increase the reach of your website to what is really right now an unserved market. Um, and what we've seen with the alt text specifically is that uh, because you have so many images in real estate, it's, it's quite difficult to put descriptive text for each of your images. There's just too many of them. And you know, it's really difficult to expect agents to do this for every single one of their photos. So there are people in the space to comply with this, what they've done is just put uh, one, two, three Main Street, photo one, photo two, et cetera, for all of their images. Whereas what we wanna do is say, okay, you know, what is actually relevant about this image? Is it a living room with lots of natural light and hardwood floors in front of a fireplace? Um, you know, this is more helpful context for someone who's trying to get a feel for what a house is like on an image by image level. That's, uh, that's great. Uh, and it's, it's certainly something that we're suggesting to our brokerage clients here at Tribus to seriously consider uh, working with the team at Respi because it is a lot better than just saying one, two, three, any street. Um, it's also just darn good business. Nathan here just mentioned some great stats as far as how many people use this. It's also just good for SEO. And this is, this is kind of goes back to what I've been saying for almost 10 years now about accessibility is what's good for accessibility, what's good for ADA compliance is just good business overall because you're uh, potentially affecting you know, a, a big percentage of, of buyers uh, and sellers that you're not able to communicate with. But also from an SEO perspective, Google loves alt text. And if your broker site has alt text 
for all of the IDX images and all the images on your website, whereas none of the rest of them do, you're far more likely to have your site rank higher. I'm assuming you've experienced that with different clients that you have, right, Nathan? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is, um, you know, the added bonus of doing this, you know, beyond just helping these people who are, um, you know, in need of extra accessibility is that, so if you look at all of these search traffic on the internet, over 20% of that is image searches. And if you think about the fact that in real estate, or with an IDX feed, you have the exact same images as everyone else, then if you can do something to make those images more easily searchable by Google, uh, you have a massive opportunity to kind of get ahead of the curve. Because what we've seen with a lot of our clients is that less than 1% of their traffic is from images. And it's because they have these same images. Huh. But if you take advantage of these SEO tricks, you can immediately leapfrog and make uh, your listings that have the same information as everyone else shoot to the top of the image search results, which also plays in the role of the overall website traffic and the website uh, rankings because Google, like uh, you said, Eric, is looking for sites that are more accessible and complying with, you know, these different guidelines that have been set out for what makes a website accessible. And, and uh, great points there. Definitely recommend listening to some of our uh, other episodes of this podcast to talk about ADA where we get much more in detail. Uh, but Nathan, before we uh, finish up here, one last question on, uh, one last question on accessibility. So in the United States, we have the Americans with Disability Act, uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA. Um, have you seen anything like that? Or have you seen similar laws slash benefits uh, to being accessible in other countries? So this is something that we, we frequently ask uh, whenever we present this solution where we, we talk about our image captions that can be applied for uh, this alt text field. And unfortunately, we haven't really seen this been, being an issue in any of these other countries. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that's something that we'll see changing in the future, but it is kind of nice to see the US on the, uh, you know, the forefront of this issue and uh, really kind of pushing this in a way that um, hasn't popped up for us in other markets yet. Got it. Okay, well, uh, just uh, one last question for you that I've been asking everybody. So. If you could change and wave a magic wand and change anything about the real estate industry, whether it's in the United States or around the world, what's the one thing you would change? That's a, that's a tough question to end on here, Eric. <laughs> I think, you know, for us, selfishly from, from our perspective, I, I would love to see, you know, more risk-taking by some of the people who have uh, a lot of, opportunities and, and market share and, and things like that. Because, you know, from Respi's perspective, we would love to kind of build this ideal portal based on all these different interactions that we've had with, with all these different clients. And, you know, unfortunately we haven't had that happen yet. So I would just love to see kind of more, more risk-taking and, and doing things that, uh, you know, affect the search or the, the way that people interact. Because I think that, there's just so much opportunity there that hasn't really been taken advantage of because they're the way incentives work for the companies that have the resources to do these things. Um, it, it can be quite difficult to, to take that chance. So that may be a cop out and I apologize. No, but, uh, I, I think it's a, it's an absolutely perfect answer, particularly for somebody who does what you guys do where you guys are way out in front um, uh, in terms of this, this little part of the, the real estate world. I, I think, 
uh, it's something I wish too. Uh, and that I found that in asking that question to everybody, it's been a c consistent answer where I agree with them. Uh, but there are obviously everybody that asks, uh, that answers that question, they come from their own lens, their own frame of reference. And uh, I think it's something you see, and I, I certainly wish that was the case uh, as well. So great answer there. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much for joining us again. Nathan is the VP of Product and Sales at Respi.ai. You can visit them at restb.ai to get more information. You can also just look at our website at tribus.com. We have plenty of great details about things that brokers can use Respi for on our website. This is Eric Stegeman, the CEO of Tribus. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Brokerage Insider. Make sure to subscribe to future episodes to keep these great interviews coming. Thanks so much for listening, everybody.